name is Ken, and I want to welcome you back to Deep Waters. This podcast is brought to you by Applied Strengths Ministry, where we believe working together in our strengths is the effect of working out the will and calling of God in our life. The title of this message is, Was Jesus About the Law? This is a series message, of which this is the second episode of three. So we see in the following scripture that Jesus redefined the Sabbath right on the spot. It could also be said that this was the intended meaning from God from the beginning, given God never changes, right? Verse 27, And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now what is interesting in this scripture is Jesus' statement is also. I had to look up what that meant, so I went right back to my flawed study Bible for some help. Okay, so I'm back. So what I found is that it stated in its notes applying to verse 27 is, the force of the argument is this, the Sabbath was made on account of man, not man on account of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day of rest. It was meant to point to the spiritual rest, which would come in Christ. So can we work on the Sabbath? Yes, but it should be a spiritual or ministry work. Now, why do I say that? Well, if you have never worked in a church setting on a Sunday, then I can see how you might be at a loss for understanding. Prepping a Sunday show is a lot of work, and many of us who did this also had full-time jobs and families. Should you rest? Yes, and in Christ, rest can come supernaturally. But not always. Sometimes it is good to do nothing. Okay, back to the paved road. We had a law which was in place, and then Jesus came along and clarified its original intent. There is nothing more sure to make a man uncomfortable than to be corrected on his religion. Oh, the trickery of men. What is so wrong with us that we have to find a way to be right when proven that we are wrong? John 8, 3, 11. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman, caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. In the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This, they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So two things before moving on. The woman was committing adultery with herself? Nope. Where is the man? This leads me to believe that they were either in such a hurry to catch Jesus in their trap, and forgetting to bring the man along, or or they had something against this particular woman and thought that Jesus might rid them of the problem. Maybe she had a black book. Anyway, the second thing is that the law that they were quoting, they were misquoting, or they did not know what it said in its entirety. Leviticus 20.10 The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. I think when Jesus bent to the ground in response to their error-filled talk, He was thinking he should start a school to teach reading. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. You could miss that in verse 9, beginning with the oldest even to the last. Yes, little kidlings, for some reason... It takes a young man a longer time to humble himself than an old one. I think that's just life. What? 
Now, even though the Pharisees clearly showed a bias against women, they were correct in what the law stated. Yes, I know they forgot the man on the bed. So but so, right here, he comes up with the most profound prophetic statement ever a man could come up with in a test. Wait, Jesus, the law doesn't let anyone off the hook, nor does it state that I must first consider my position or state of sin being before enacting the consequences of the broken law on the one who broke it. Why, I am a Pharisee. It's my job to find fault. Okay, so they didn't say it. So in my experience with modern-day Pharisees, it is how they thought, thooked, and thanked. So we see again Jesus taking it upon himself to reorder, if you will, the law of priorities. I think I will try this next time I get a speeding ticket. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now this little chat session must break the hard-hearted to pieces. He finally gets a right response from the Pharisees in that they could not condemn her because they too were sinners. Enforcing the law had all but left their little minds. But now, see how Jesus responded to a sinner caught in a very act of sinning? Neither do I condemn you. I must say this is the way of the authentic church that is equipping the saints for the work of ministry and making disciples that remain. If your sin condemns you, it is enough. Okay, so now we move to the next thing he says, which, as I am sure you guessed it, is covered more comprehensively in another message. And that is his statement, go and sin no more. Now, had he stated this to me when I first got saved, I would have had to have gotten in the confessionary line a thousand times to chat about committing the same sin over and over. I would have asked him if he was out of his mind to play such a task before a sinful man. How on the brown surface of Mars are we to walk totally away from sin and be perfect or sinless? Well, so, I just thought I would point it out. Check out my message on this and be amazed at the possibilities in Christ. By the way, Reinhard Bonnke taught on this scripture, stating that Jesus avoided breaking the law by speaking to her as if he were already crucified, and as if she were already forgiven and covered in his blood. Peter gives us some insight into this line of thinking, which I think supports the idea. 1 Peter 1.20 He indeed was foreordained, before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. I know, right? Take up your bed. John 5, 1, 12. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate of Pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethsaida, having five porches, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. 
and immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was a Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is a Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now clearly we have these same like-minded people alive and well in today's churches. I think they are called disciple police. Who told you? Ha! But Jesus had a way of stirring it up, didn't he? He knew their buttons and was intentionally pushing them. I would also go so far as to say that in part, he did this to provoke them to eventually murder him. In their fleshly response to him, they in fact would eventually kill him. I guess you could ask, do you have to provoke a murderer to kill? You see, now we get to the message on CD Seedlings, where we talk about the children of God and the children of Satan, to which Cain was his first child. But no, you must stay on this paved road, Ken. Well, that's it for today. Remember, it's not what you find wrong or disagree with regarding these messages, but what you can take away from them. Together, we can do more to impact the kingdom than if we work alone. Let's flip the script and kill, steal, and destroy the works of the enemy and create space for the light of life to shine through into people's lives. Plant a seed and click on the like and subscribe button. Let's build this ministry together. Thanks and see you next time in deep waters.